Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. Continuing on from last week, we started a sermon series last week on the heels of our 260th anniversary celebration on Faith Renewal, looking at our mission statement, which is simply posted on both of our hymn boards on the website, etc., etc., Cultivate, Grow, Renew. And if you missed last week, I invite you to go back either on Facebook or the podcast or something, catch up on this conversation that we're having, because I'm, I'm excited about putting these words together and sort of in this moment as we head into the next 260 years, thinking about what it is that God is calling us to do in this moment. Last week, we talked about cultivation. We talked about cultivating that fa- our faith is revelation, not achievement, that it is a gift and not something that we earn. And so our work is to cultivate the faith that we, has already been put into us. Tearing out all that is in the way. We often talk about it, you know, the sin that so easily entangles. Tearing out everything that is in the way so that we can nurture this good deposit of faith that was in our ancestors and is in us and is in you and me today. That sounds good. We start doing that and we say, well, what then? Because we cannot know for certain what end will come as a result of our discipleship. We don't know where we're going because we've never experienced the us that we are becoming. And we cannot know very often how to get there. The pathway of spirituality is challenging. It is one foot in front of the other and that's about as good as we can do. In fact, the Apostle Thomas said the same thing very famously. He said, Jesus is saying, I go to be with my Father, and where I am there you may be also. And Thomas is going, Lord, we have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Thomas is also my guy. Always asking the question that all of us would ask, we just don't have the courage to say it. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But growing into that requires more than just simply evidence. It requires more than a roadmap, but it requires more than sort of a simple step program to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Which brings us to where I want to start today. That faith is a work not just of the mind, it is a work of imagination. Faith is a work fundamentally of the imagination. Like, well, what is the imagination? How does that work? Well, very famous author George MacDonald, okay, who was a Congregationalist minister, hooray for us. He was Scottish, hooray for the Scottish Congregationalists, and then finally was actually one of the best fantasy writers that maybe the English language has ever produced. He describes imagination this way. He says, imagination is an imaging or a making of likenesses. The imagination is that faculty which gives form to thought. Not necessarily uttered form, but form capable of being uttered into shape. You're like, yeah, he sounds like a Scottish Congregationalist. What in the world does that mean? And what he's saying is that imagination takes these abstract thoughts that we have of faith, these ideas when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and seeks to form them into something that is accessible, something that we can do, a thing that we can be. And in this way, imagination is essential to the life of faith because we must be able to imagine and see things before they come into existence. Throughout the history of scriptures, the people of God have been informed by a vibrant and wild imagination. 
Even while they were in slavery, the Israelites imagined freedom, even though they saw no way to get there. After they were exiled, they imagined that one day they would return, even though they were scattered, divided, and powerless. They imagined that a Savior would come without knowing how that Savior would come or what that Savior would look like. And in turn, we have to be able in our own moment to imagine that there is faith in us. We have to imagine that the communities of which we are a part of still matter. And we have to be able to imagine a better world. Without any of this, there is very little point to what it is that we do here, whether it be this morning or as an institution. Imagination is essential. And every church mission statement, whether it's three words or three paragraphs, and I've seen churches that do that, whatever our mission statement, mission statements are an exercise in imagination. Cultivate, grow, renew is an imaginative exercise. It is simply seeking to give form to the spiritual life that we proclaim. And so to that end, I want to invite you to engage with me in a little bit of imagination this morning. How do we imagine the work of discipleship? What does it look like? When you think about what it means to follow after Jesus, what images, following on imagination, what images come to your mind? Perhaps it's often of a journey. You know, we talk regularly, you know, this idea of pilgrimage, going somewhere. Maybe there are other things that come up into your mind. But Jesus imagined it in a slightly different way, and not that one way is right and one way is wrong. We need to have lots of different images for how we think about our faith. But Jesus imagined it in a slightly different way. He said in the beginning of the Gospel of John, he said, When I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And what he was talking about is when I'm raised on the cross, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Jesus didn't imagine it as a line or a journey, a straight line from, you know, where I am to where I want to be. Rather, Jesus identified discipleship as a circle. It's with a gravitational pull at the center that slowly, over the course of a lifetime, from generation to generation, draws us closer and closer to himself. And where is Jesus most fully realized? On the cross. Jesus imagines the life of faith, not as going from here to there, but rather being drawn to the reality that is Jesus on the cross, where our salvation is finally and fully realized. And part of the reason Jesus does this is because he's inviting us to see beyond what we can see today. Because while we are being drawn and while we have our eyes fixed on the cross, one of the things that we find ourselves doing, if we start looking to our right and to our left and starting to say, well, shoot, I'm not the only one here. Oftentimes in faith we do that. We believe we're the only one on this journey. That's where the idea of pilgrimage can become problematic. Like this idea, it's just me. Sometimes we even sing it, though none go with me, still I will follow. It's a great cry of faith and courage. But it's no way to live a life of faith. We can't do it on our own. And we start looking to the left and the right and saying, oh, I'm not here by myself. Jesus himself even said, when Mary and John and the other Mary were all gathered around the cross, he said to Mary, he said, son, behold your mother, mother, behold your son. What he's saying is that pay attention to the person on your right and on your left as you're being drawn to the cross. And in this way, friends, the pull of Jesus... The, the faithful life that we cultivate always pulls us towards each other. Christian discipleship always leads to community. The moment Jesus ascended, there was a movement that started. 
And it started spreading and it started bringing people together. And it started revealing faith, hope, and love across boundaries. Believe it or not, as soon as Jesus ascended, the church started to grow. And that is the way of the things of God. Where the Spirit is, things grow. When we draw close to Christ, things grow. Our hearts grow. Our communities grow. Our ecosystems grow. So if any of this is true, here comes the sermon title, can we be honest for a second? Can we say the quiet part out loud? If Christian faith draws us to the cross, which always means being drawn to each other, then friends, I will say the quiet part out loud. We should want our congregations and our churches to grow. Am I allowed to say that? Is that okay? Because sometimes I think we're scared to death to say it. (gasps) Growth, what do you mean by that? When faith is cultivated... The imagination is stirred, not just in us, but those around us. The community can't help but grow because we've got the best story that's ever been told. Now, it is reasonable to ask, well, what does growth look like? What do we mean by that? Well, friends, that too is a work of the imagination. We struggle with growth because we are a society steeped in growth that is not healthy. We seek to accumulate resources so that others might not have them. We seek to bring influence to ourselves. We seek power. More people, bigger buildings, more dynamic programming. And if that is what makes us a little nervous, I'm on board with that. Some of us are so spooked by that, though, that we'd actually be afraid if a local congregation actually saw some growth. But that's not the only way to think about growth. We don't have to think about growth in those terms. We don't have to think about them in terms of us versus them. We don't have to think about it in terms of accumulating something so that somebody else doesn't have. And we actually get a wonderful picture of this in a very famous saint. A guy named Francis. Ever heard of him? Francis gives us a picture of what growth looks like. St. Francis lived in the 1200s, and his story of growing up in a fairly well-to-do family is well-known. You can go look it up. But he, he went to war, and he discovered that war was not the answer to just about anything, and so he decided he was going to be a man of God in some capacity. And so he starts on this pilgrimage by himself, and he ends up at this little church called San Damiano, and hanging in San Damiano was a cross, a crucifix. If you don't know the difference between a cross and a crucifix, a crucifix has got a picture of Jesus on the cross. And while he's sitting there praying, he hears a voice. Francis, the voice said, calling him by name. Not just a guy, but Francis. Go rebuild my house. As you can see, it is all being destroyed. Well, Francis does what we do. He looks to the right and he looks to the left and he goes, yeah, you know what? This place is kind of run down. This is what he does. Francis, this super simple-hearted person, looks around and says, okay, Jesus, I hear you loud and clear. And so you know what he does? He he runs back to his dad who sells fabrics, okay, which today maybe isn't the most lucrative thing in the world. It was a significantly lucrative item back in the day. So what he does, he goes back to his dad's warehouse, cleans it out, sells it all without telling dad, not recommended, and then uses the money to start buying stone to rebuild the church. You see, Francis at the time was also steeped in a society of power and influence. And he responded as such, accumulate money to build a better place. 
but it was only through the struggles of his efforts. After dad found out what he did, it did not go down well. His dad grabs him by the scruff of the neck, drags him before the bishop, throws him down, and says, you need to condemn my kid for what he did. And Francis, in front of the bishop, apologizes to his dad. He says, I am sorry. And he says, I will repay back everything that I have done, and I'm going to begin with the very clothes on my back. And you know what Francis does? He strips down completely naked and runs off into the woods, heads back to San Damiano. Only through the struggle of his effort and the rejection of his family, he came to understand that it wasn't San Damiano that needed rebuilding. It finally dawned on him what it was that was speaking to him in the first place. Oh, it's a crucifix, the crucified Christ. His task was to point others, to draw people to the crucified Christ. And in that way, he set out to build. And St. Francis's story from there is one of the most remarkable stories of faith that has ever been told, at least in the Western world. Having said that, the image of a building can be helpful as a work of imagination because it puts form to idea. And throughout Scripture, there are ways that the metaphor of building helps us to make sense of the work that we have to do here in our own time. One of the first ones we get is the idea of a tabernacle or a tent. We go all the way back to Israel, and, they, and after they had left Sinai, they say, Jesus, Jesus, not yet. In the Old Testament, God says, I need you to build me a tent. Not a building, he says, I want you to make a tent. And this tent was to be the house of God, the literal address for God's dwelling. God says, that tent right there is where I live. Anybody wants to come see me, you had to be invited. It was very particular. But anybody wants to see me, wants to know where God is, I'm going to live in the tent. And there were many prescriptions for what had to be put into this tent. But of particular note were the instructions that were given for what is called the mercy seat. The Ark of the Covenant was there, and there were two angels that were placed on top of the covenant, and God literally came down and sat between the two angels, and it was called the mercy seat. And in this tabernacle was the place where forgiveness of sins and reconciliation happened. You would come before God, the priest would come before God, would ask forgiveness for the people, and forgiveness would be granted. The themes there are deep and powerful. It's not about the tent. God is not fixed or permanent. God travels with the people. God is not in an established location. Wherever the people go, God will go. God is as much a vagabond as the rest of us. And when one enters that place, the point of all the trappings and all the architecture and all the rules and all the liturgy was simple, to point people towards forgiveness and reconciliation through God's eternal presence. And it is in this spirit that Jesus talks about building his church. But it took an unexpected turn as well. Jesus goes into the temple, the place where Jesus, where God, golly day, Sam, get your God and Jesus straight today. <laughs> the place where God was said to, have, to be living, the place where forgiveness was to be offered because sacrifice would be made. Jesus goes into the temple and he looks at everybody after he'd thrown out the money changers and he says, tear down this temple and I will raise it again in three days. The people that hear this are very Franciscan. They said, um, fella, took us 46 years to build this thing. You think you're going to do it in three days? I don't think so. John interprets it later. He said the temple that Jesus was speaking of was not the temple. The temple of what he spoke of was his body. The tabernacle, the temple, the presence, the place where God lives in a growing imagination 
is not a place. It's now in a body. It's now in Jesus. And the temple that we are called to build with a growing imagination is that God is here among us That the word of God is living and active in us. And that this place, this people, is to be still the, the, the place where we identify God's presence and the center for forgiveness and reconciliation. We are not set upon a bunch of rules. Rather, we are built upon a confession and a belief with Jesus at the center of it. And this is what Peter gets so very, very right. When Jesus says, well, who does everybody say that I am? And there are many answers. And friends, there are still many answers in our culture. But Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, it is on this rock that I will build my church. It is on this confession of faith, this belief that I will build a thing. That God is in Jesus, that Jesus is now the temple, and he is the one who will enact the work of reconciliation and forgiveness. And our job is to be drawn and to draw others towards that center. And so Peter does this work, not just in his confession, and he fails, we all know that story. He does it not just with brick and mortar, but with pen and parchment in his epistles. He continues to develop this picture. What does it look like to build? What does it look like for us to grow? And he begins with where we did last week with cultivation. He says, rid yourself of the junk. He says, crave pure spiritual milk. Cultivate your lives. But then he says to them all, come to him, meaning Jesus, like living stones. Let yourself be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The imagination takes us to a different place now. Yes, God was located in Jesus, and yes, that was the center of forgiveness and reconciliation. But Christ now, through the Holy Spirit, has come into us, and now we are the temple. It is us. Let yourselves be built into a spiritual house. And so in this house, friends, hear me clearly when I say this. In this house, the spiritual house that we are called to build, we have to have imaginations big enough to believe this. That in Christ's house, there are no volunteers. There are only priests. Hear that again. There are no volunteers. All of us are called to be priests. You are a holy priesthood. In this house, we have a story that is big enough and compelling enough that we can't help but proclaim it. And in a world coming apart, we are called to witness to Christ who is drawing all things to himself. These are the spiritual sacrifices that Peter encourages us to grab hold of. And this is the church that we can and must grow with eyes fixed on Jesus, without apology and without hesitation. It's okay to say, if we are founded on Jesus and it's about drawing closer to Jesus, then that is a place that we want to see grow because we want to see people become into relationship with Jesus. And so let that imagination, what is happening today in us, in the church, let, us, let it take a form and a shape. Imagination helps us to see, but it is our work that makes it come alive. And so it's no good to say, at least as a Christian, that we say, I like religion or I like faith or I like Jesus, I just don't like the church. Well, the church, after Jesus, 
was always and is always going to organize itself. Friends, when people come together, we have this really innate desire to put things into order. This is what we do. Organized religion is part of what it means to follow after Jesus. Goodness, even St. Francis, who was the least organized person, I think, in the church's history, drew people to himself so much that the Franciscan movement is still a thing. I know, I've been to their monasteries. Had a wonderful time. We can't help but organize. We never organize perfectly, but that's because our organization demands flexibility. Each generation makes this journey their own, makes this edifice their own in accordance with the environment that it finds itself in. And so friends, just because we organize into this thing called the church doesn't mean that we're any less spiritual or any less filled with the spirit. And so the goal is, yes, an institution that points us back to well-cultivated lives and is itself a well-cultivated institution that takes the stories of what God is doing in the world and puts them into a form that we can engage with and we bump up against others and we grow together to the thing that Christ is calling us to be. So if we are a well-cultivated institution seeking to witness to Christ and to be a place of presence and reconciliation, well, then each part of that organization is going to have to do the work of imagination. Every corner of this congregation and all congregations is called to do the imaginative work of priesthood, taking the ideas of faith and forming them into ways that can be lived. So for example... On our journey from baptism to funeral, what steps do we take to develop well-cultivated faith? You talk about that, not just run a program, but do, what does that look like? What, how, how do we allow people to go on that journey together? When we come into worship, worship isn't just seeking some oomph for the week. Sometimes that happens, that's great. But worship has to be as an imaginative process where we understand that when we come into this place with one another, we come into the very throne of grace because we are the place where God lives. And in that, we receive the very richest of meals. Jesus doesn't just say, let me talk at you for a little while. He feeds us and sends us back into the world with mission. Our resources are not just sort of this blood that keeps us living, but rather loaves and fishes that are multiplied. We have to have imagination for that. Caring for others goes beyond just sort of neighborhood friendliness. How you doing? Hope everything's okay. And tends to the souls. Imagination moves us from building an organization to cultivating a spiritual community, a spiritual house. And that is what Jesus calls his apostles to do. And that is where Jesus' promise come in. That when we build that, when we grow that, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so to the extent that we can imagine such a wonderful, wonderful thing and join with others to do that work together, we will inspire a world to wonder at what it is that God is doing in the world because we will be a temple of the Spirit right here in Silver Run in Carroll County. Is that a place where God lives? Absolutely it is. A little outpost of heaven. 
So friends, let us not run from the notion of growing and let us not run from the idea of building a church that does good work in the world, but let us always be asking questions. What is it still that we can cultivate and imagine? And let us pursue that with the power of Christ that rests inside our souls, the power of Christ against which the gates of hell will not prevail, the power of Christ that calls us to be a holy priesthood and to be built into a spiritual house.